Welcome to the Challenge Cycling Podcast. Uh, and now we have all the way from Australia, Cyrus Monk, former under-23 Australian champion, uh, recent winner of the points classification jersey at Tour Down Under, uh, and races for Evo Pro Pro Continental Cycling Team. And when racing was suspended on the continent due to coronavirus, we were lucky to have Cyrus compete in some of our races in our club league here in Galway. Uh, Cyrus, you're very welcome. Thanks for joining us on the other side of the world. Um, and tell me, how are things going at the moment? Uh, in Australia, you're pretty much opened up. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, we've been super lucky here for the last four or five months. We've been relatively COVID-free, so being able to to race my bike and then, um, yeah, live the good life off the bike as well. So I've been super lucky to be back here. It's just definitely a bit of a, an unusual race season once again. Again, so usually I do the Australian summer and that'd finish up at the start of February and then I'd come over to Europe either end of February or mid-March I'd always be over there but this is the latest I've been in Australia for the last three years um, just because it's it's still uh, so uncertain in Europe with the racing that's going on like there's there's times where we'll think all right we've got a good block of racing coming up and then all of a sudden we've only got one race for the next month so unfortunately that's what we've got at the moment for april we've got one really good race start um in belgium there and then for the rest of the month not much at all so there has been a lot of racing in australia i've been lucky that i've been out of race here but the yeah the goal definitely is still to get over to europe and get into the big stuff so you moved up back to Australia at the end of August, was it, um, from, from Ireland? And you've been racing since in Australia? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, in, I was in Ireland up until August, and then I was lucky to get a month of racing in Belgium and France in September. So I was still in Europe up until, up until November. So I spent most of October traveling around trying to find a visa so I could stay over because it's so difficult to get back to Australia from Europe at the moment with the the quarantine and also just so many flights being cancelled so I was initially trying to stay over there and then it was just impossible to to do that legally I'd already stay overstayed in Ireland during the lockdown because I couldn't move anywhere and I've never planned I'd planned on going there for a week in between races and then just ended up staying for four months so that was well over the tourist visa that I had to to travel there. And then basically I was planning on staying for the winter, but I couldn't legally stay and I managed to find a flight luckily and then got back to here. And then since I've been back in Australia, we've been basically COVID free. Like I think we've had less than a hundred cases the whole country since, since that point. So it's been, yeah, a completely different lifestyle here to what I would have had being in Europe and definitely pretty lucky to have been here for sure yeah we're under a, a five kilometer limit for the last well since christmas really so you i think you made the right decision yeah i think oh, i spent a lot of the the first lockdown spent a lot in, of time in that 2k limit doing laps of the house and uh yeah wasn't too keen to go back and and start that one again Yeah, it was tough. And you were, you were in quarantine too, but also for two weeks when you were here. Yeah, so that was part of the thing putting me off coming back here um, was 
was the hotel quarantine and then I ended up um yeah having to to do that in Adelaide because there was no flights into Melbourne at the time I was flying back so yeah did did that and then eventually got home probably yeah I think it was 18 days after I left Ireland I finally got to to my house in Australia so it was a pretty long transit but I um yeah it's pretty happy happy to be back here and have a bit of freedom and a good it's like a Australian summer is as good as it gets for training. So yeah, it was perfect for that. Let it go on. You must have been chalking she's like because when you were in Ireland you were living you were kind of in the Midlands based, weren't you? Yeah, um it's it's not too dissimilar to where I am now. Like I'm actually I live in the wettest part of Australia. Um and I still don't understand how our rainfall says it's similar to to what it is. I was staying just near Moat, so just outside of Athlone in the middle of Ireland there. But uh yeah, the, I compared and we have similar rainfalls, but I swear it rained every single day I was there last year. But um yeah, here we'll sort of get the big big storms and dumping rain whereas there it's just on and off for the whole day pretty much every day so i definitely don't miss that kind of thing um and yeah also our our summer here we will go weeks at a time without a drop of rain so that's awesome for training i was following your twitter there while you were in uh quarantine and uh you used your time very productively so this is the your musical side Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're far too kind. Ooh. Yeah, buddy. Ooh. 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 Yeah, can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boss. So for one last time, I need y'all to roll. Uh, uh, uh. What the hell are you waiting for? After me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. Get him started. I Tell us what was the crack with uh, quarantine and uh, making music? Yeah, so it it was never something I planned on when I was going in there. I think just I um I have a, just a, a tin whistle that I always have just traveling around with me just because it's easy to have traveling. And I learned that as a kid, funnily enough, like didn't have any, don't have any family connection to Ireland. I'd just um, grown up playing that it was an instrument I learned in school and then uh yeah I knew how to play that and as I was traveling around Europe trying to get a visa I had a stopover in Scotland in Edinburgh and just to pass the time I went into a music shop because it was about the only thing open just as things were getting locked down again at the start of November there and um yeah I, I bought a harmonica in there and thought I'll just try and play this if I go back into lockdown again and it'll give me something to do and then a week later I was back in Australia in a hotel room but I had just those two things with me and thought right well I've got got nothing to do here like I've got two weeks with um with plenty of time on my hands I'll just um try and learn the harmonica does anyone have any requests like I, I sort of put that up on my Instagram just thinking I'll do some some stupid little things and then I um yeah just the the first day just got a little bit carried away and people said oh this is really cool can you do this song next and got a few more requests in and then each day sort of put a little bit more effort into it to the point where I, yeah I was getting 
completely carried away and I was taking up most of my day, but that was that was actually a, a bit of a blessing by the end because I didn't didn't have that much else to do in there, so it was a good way to pass the time. Yeah, like you need to keep saying lunch, you need to have some kind of focus, like, and have something like music is really, really great. Like, were you able to train when you were in quarantine, which was turbo, or how did all that work? Yeah, I was, I was really lucky. I just got in contact with Cycling Australia when I landed, and it was a bit of a Hail Mary. I thought, uh, they won't, they won't help me out at all here because, um, yeah, they've got their own athletes in Adelaide, is where we have our high performance unit. So, our track team's based there. It's sort of like our equivalent of Irish Cycling's Mallorca. Like we've got our set up there, the best tracks there and all of the gears there. So I sort of thought, ah, oh, I might be lucky here and they'll have a turbo sitting around. So I asked for that and they just said, yeah, we'll have a mechanic drop one off to you this afternoon. So I was super lucky there and a bike with it because I didn't fly back with my bike because it was sort of such a hurry to leave. And um, yeah, I had a bike and a turbo supplied by them and then funnily enough Adelaide one of the quarantine hotels um there was an outbreak from one of the the incoming travelers and Adelaide went into lockdown while I was stuck there in the hotel so all the athletes were suddenly asking for the turbos that the <laughs> Cycling Australia has all the trackies and um I had one in my hotel that they weren't allowed to come and get out because I was I was in quarantine so I was lucky that, yeah, two days either side and I wouldn't have had one. But uh, I'm a known hater of the turbo. I always prefer, I'd ride it in a blizzard before I'd ride on one of those by choice. So it was a tough two weeks just getting through an hour or two on that a day. I'd say the furniture piled up against the, the hotel room door in case Cycling Australia came for it. Yeah, well, the the good thing was they asked um, if they could come and get it. And I said, yeah, look, if you, if they let you, then you can... Have it back i'm sick of riding it anyway and um they uh they asked the hotel and the hotel said no nah, there's strictly nothing can come out of those rooms for the 14 days because they've been so strict on it in australia but we were sort of treated like lepers when we arrived which isn't the nicest way to come back to your home country but yeah, we've we've been pretty free of covid for the last six months now just about yeah it was worth suffering two weeks under turbo i can tell you yeah yeah um what do you do like to to make the turbo bearable what's your uh, what's your go to uh, for me um I've, I've purposely sort of staying away from zwift because i just don't want to get get addicted to that i just always prefer to ride my bike outside but uh, for me it's just keep it short and sweet um trying to build up the volume to just do multiple short stints rather than sitting on there for three hours at a time and do you find you can like can you push it as much on the turbo as you would out on the road, like training with with with, with your teammates or a few buddies? Uh, I personally can't at all. The, my numbers are always way down on the turbo, but um, I always just have to tell myself that it's just the the training that I'm doing it for, rather than the like I'm not going to be going and bragging to anyone about my numbers on the turbo after it's it's just the training benefit that I'm looking for. So if it's a time where I have to use it, then I will bet. I think before quarantine, it had been a few years since I jumped on one for anything more than a warm up. So I'll always just 
get out in whatever the weather is as much as I can because I'm definitely an outdoors person. Funny, you had a question there from one of the lads in the club, Sean Dyden, or sorry, Brendan Dunleavy, and he was asking about heat training without a fan. Is it something you, you, you do to, you'd, you'd ever do to acclimatize? Yeah, I think um, that kind of thing, especially in Ireland, because you can't do heat training outside ever because it doesn't <laughs> get hot enough. So, um, yeah, anything that's going to raise your core body temperature up to that 39, 40 degrees kind of mark, which is going to be, um, yeah, if you if you don't have a fan, that's that's going to help that. It's You just have to be really careful and understand that your, your numbers are going to be way down, like your, your power output. And your heart rate's going to be way up and you're not the the goal isn't to be doing amazing power it's to just be getting your body really hot so it can adapt to that kind of thing and um also handle dehydration so i'd still recommend uh, yeah i wouldn't be doing that with any kind of painkillers or caffeine or anything that might stop your body's natural response because if you you're doing that kind of thing and overheating you want that to be the only stress so that you know when to stop rather than pushing it too far and that kind of thing. You got to watch out for the missus too when she sees the sweat pouring out underneath the door in streams. Yeah. No, that's certainly not pretty. Ah, that that was the the worst bit about the quarantine room is there was no no fan in there and no windows, oh, so we weren't allowed to open the windows. Um, really? Because and yeah, or we didn't have a balcony or anything because of the the quarantine situation like the the virus risk so yeah it was uh yeah just crazy hot and tell us just kind of bring us back there to um kind of how you got into cycling and you know to a bit about your kind of early life you know i am um, growing up i played mostly australian football so it's obviously um pretty similar to gaelic football there um, but we've got a, a funny shaped ball and then um that in the winter and then cricket in the summer which is the standard australian combination basically and then i was riding a bike a little bit to and from school that kind of thing um just a, a crappy old mountain bike kind of thing as a kid and then um my dad used to do a bit of riding on the road and he'd take me out on my mountain bike and he'd ride on the road and then it was it was way too hard for me then so eventually he just said all right we'll get you a, a crappy little road bike and see how you go and um yeah, I liked going for rides on the weekend with him. And then we are super lucky. We've got a really good velodrome right near the town I grew up. So um, the local cycling club, a 333-metre concrete velodrome and um, with really steep banking. So I that's where I'd sort of learnt my craft as a junior was on the track up until about under 15s. I was never much good on the track, but uh, I liked it. It was fast. I'd go go there for an hour, do four races in that time, get to race against all my friends then, and then um, yeah, go home, and then the next day go to footy training or cricket or whatever. Isn't that something about you see in Australia the the resources that you put into sports and sports facilities is? Yeah, I think definitely you see as as well around here, like especially my state, Victoria. It's, and Melbourne is the the capital of sport in Australia. Like they pride ourselves on the the stadiums and just the culture here. So growing up, I was always going to be sporty coming from this area. And um, but yeah, as you said, just super lucky to have that velodrome nearby. It's really sad now that it's it doesn't get used that much because track cycling's really died off in Australia. But I think it was a result of that golden 
period sort of in the 50s and 60s when track cycling was a big money sport here and it was sort of instead of people going and watching horse racing they were going and watching track cycling and putting big bets on track cycling and and they were sort of household names like the 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 big cyclists back in those days so i think yeah i sort of am still reading the benefits of that from the infrastructure that we've got there that um yeah, unfortunately now the money is completely gone from track cycling and it's it's just chasing Olympic gold. Um, but that only comes around every four years. So for me, that was sort of the part of the switch to the the road was just, yeah, the, I didn't like the, the training as much because you, you're just riding around in circles on a velodrome and I've got such a nice area for riding around here. It was obvious to get onto the road. But yeah, the opportunities on the road to to get to the top level uh, are so much better now as well. And how did you progress then from, you know, you, your local club and, you know, you were kind of doing well, how did you progress then to, you know, competing in the, the Australian nationals, taking the under 23 title and on from there? Yeah, I think a lot of people sort of ask this and some people will be, they'll be racing their local, they'll they'll get into their a-grade club race and suddenly they've got this idea in their head of i'm going to be racing the tour de france in three years whereas i didn't have that kind of mentality ever i was always just focused on winning the next race so when i was in last year of high school racing club races i'd say right i want to win this race and then there'd be a big open race like my local big open race finishes at the the top of mount borbo which is the hardest climb in Australia and I've never been a pure climber but I just went all right I'm going to try and win this race and I was racing C grade back then and I think I got second then and then people are saying oh is that it's going to be a good climber and then the next race would be a crit or something and I'd be saying all right I'm going to try and win this but the focus was always just on having fun firstly and then secondly winning the races so it was never sort of oh, I'm going to at this point do this but um yeah, I ended up getting a ride, a ride on a, a national series team and got quite a good national road series in Australia here. So I was really lucky to win some open races in um, in the B grade category while I was still in school. And then, um, yeah, that got me a ride on one of the national series teams, probably like a, a bit earlier than I was yeah one that just got picked up because the the guy that ran the team was from my area and he's he'd heard of me before whereas if if i hadn't had that then there's probably better riders than me at that point but then as soon as i got in there i wasn't expecting to get dropped i was thinking no i just want to try and win this race and i didn't win any races in that year but i was getting on the podium by the end of that year and then yeah, that took me onto a, a team that then the next year ended up going over to Belgium and racing some amateur stuff there. And they sort of just put that idea in front of me and said, oh, do you want to come over and do this stuff? And I thought, well, yeah, I've never been to Europe, but I'd love to and had no idea what to expect. But when it wasn't, that was probably the year when I went over there and raced the amateur stuff and won a few of the amateur camises. I thought, oh, this, I can actually perform pretty well in this sport. Like this is a big deal over here. People actually pay attention to it. And I'm, um, getting some wins in these races that have thousands of people coming to watch, even though they're just amateur races. So that was sort of the point where I went, ah, oh, this is a, a sport I can keep pursuing and see how far I can go. It was a real change in culture, I suppose, going to, to Belgium, you know, the, the roads, the races, like we've been over to Flanders and, uh, you know, people really do turn up. They love the racing over there, a few beers, watching the racing. 
and the weather could be blooming miserable. You know, it's yeah, uh, we couldn't believe it. The yeah, the first year we went over, I think, um, yeah, had I was 19 with two other 19 year olds, an 18 year old, and a 21 year old, and um, yeah, all of our first time to Europe basically, and um. Yeah, cycling in Australia is not a mainstream sport at all. It's probably similar to Ireland in that, yeah, we've got our big team sports and then cycling follows well behind those. But you still got a big participation at grassroots level. A lot mm. of people ride a road bike, but the following for the top level of the sport it just isn't there. Whereas you go over to Belgium and this is like if, you, if you're counting down from World Tour, then you've got World Tour, Pro Continental, Continental, and then we're amateur and there's still thousands of people coming and watching. There's these, yeah, Camises where you're starting at 6 p.m. so it finishes at 9 p.m. and all the pubs are full as they just watch you go around and yeah crazy loud music playing but that kind of thing we were just like wow this is amazing like people actually care about this stuff people are coming up after asking you to sign photos of yourself that they've found that I didn't even know existed and yeah that was a completely different atmosphere once you get over there. And coming from, you know, sunny days and, you know, smooth, well-tarred roads, how did you find hitting the cobbles over in Belgium and the small country roads? Yeah. I think um, the the country roads is really similar to where I am from here. I remember there was one race where it was, it was really wet. I think I just assumed that year when I went over that there was never a time it wasn't raining in Belgium because I think the whole time we were there it rained. But since I've been there a few times since, we've had better luck with the weather. But that first year I went, I was just thinking, this is how does anyone ride a bike here? But um, yeah, the the roads were quite similar to Irish roads as well, just tiny farm tracks with cow shit all over them, basically. This is actually pretty similar to home because where I grew up training here, the the local bunch rides are riding on similar little farm roads. So I was, yeah, thinking to yourself, like this, this kind of racing really suits me. And then I sort of just took to the cobbles straight away. I was so excited to ride them and it just suits the the strong kind of riders that, um, yeah, it's, it's not suiting the wider, wider climber types, but um, yeah, if you've got the legs, you can get through those cobbled sections at the front. So yeah, at that that level, I was racing there. I was yeah loving any any race that I saw cobbles on the circuit. I was excited about. Deadly, yeah. We noticed um, from your your Irish uh, Instagram post and that a lot of very agricultural teams. I'm wondering, are you from a very kind of agricultural part of Australia? I'm going to just pop up one of your uh, one of your yeah. mid ride posts. Yeah. Knock knock. Who's there? Cows go. Cows go who? No, cows go moo. I got the carniest one I could find. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a lot of your posts were about uh, sheep and cows. and uh, So you, you're from a kind of an agricultural area of Australia, yeah? Yeah, really big dairy farming town. Um, well, it's, it's not a big town. Uh, small little town called Druin. It's probably... A similar size to to moat in ireland but um yeah about 100 k's east of melbourne um and yeah just nice rolling hills all my friends basically are either um dairy farmers or beef farmers so i yeah I you know your way around the tractor so no i 
haven't done too much myself. I, I, I spend a fair bit of time out there with them, but I've managed to avoid most of the, the work on the farm. But Just yeah, I grew up in... Are they good? Are they good? No, nah, they've got um, blisters, on from, blisters on them from the gym, but that's, really? that's about it. Not, not, from, um, not from a shovel at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I grew up in a townhouse because my parents were both teachers, but yeah, definitely mm. used to the, the rural area and the, the farm talk. And tell us about your education then, because it's kind of interesting. You have a, you have a Bachelor of Science, uh, which uh, physiology major. Yeah, so I, I, was, I was pretty big on maths and science at school. And I, I knew I wanted to go to university, but I never knew what I wanted to study. So I started the Bachelor of Science thinking I'll probably start that and go into engineering. And then I started doing some engineering stuff in first year. And it was really programming heavy, because that's obviously the way that that industry's gone now and I thought I don't want to be sitting behind a computer for the rest of my life it's not that interesting and I was doing a few biology subjects at the time and the physiology stuff really interested me and I thought ah oh, this is so relatable to my cycling because I was just mm. getting right into the cycling and the training at that point and I was rocking up to lectures and thinking oh, I already know all of this stuff from riding a bike and going to a nutrition lecture and thinking oh, I already know all this stuff because I have to to do this to to be well like to be well suited to writing anyway so that kind of thing definitely steered me in that direction and then yeah that's sort of gone hand in hand with the sparkling since and also i sort of just had so many people because they knew i'd been studying that asking me for advice and um, tips on their training that that's what sort of pushed me into coaching because i ended up sort of falling into coaching people without even doing it formally and then since then started up um working with my coach that i've worked with and he's he's a phd he, he um yeah he knows just about everything there is to know about exercise physiology but yeah i started i've started coaching through his business as well and really enjoyed that because it's supplying both the cycling and my university degree together so i was, I was looking through your site there cyclistscientist.com um yep. and like a big thing i was reading about like you really go deep into the science you know uh like i was trying to figure out endothelium derived hyperpolarization and vasoconstrictor protagonalandins but you actually explained yeah. it with a kind of a shovel analogy that you're right yeah yeah um so you're so taking really thanks. deep science and you're kind of making it very understandable for somebody who isn't scientific yeah that's what i wanted to do because Unfortunately, it's a big thing in the scientific literature to, to use all of those words when basically they're just like that, that what you were saying then is just what everyone knows is that if you're using your muscles in aerobic training, then they're going to get better at aerobic training or like mm. better at working aerobically. So in that sense, it's growing more blood vessels is the, the end result. But the those they're simple concepts um, intuitively, but they're just represented with crazy wording and really hard to sort of both access the the papers um, in a literal sense. In that it's hard to find them or or get them if you're not going through a university, but also to be able to read them if you don't have that background. So the whole idea of that website for me is just to present information to so that anyone can read it and use it because i think 
yeah, so many people are um, getting trapped into to listening to people that don't actually have the the background expertise and can. If you're starting out new in the sport, you can hear so many things and don't know where to look. So the idea of that is to give people somewhere to look where they can go, right, this is actually supported by science because I can see it's all here and it's in a way that I can understand it and then use it in my own training. You, you talk a lot about overtraining and the immune system, you know, quality versus quantity and using the, the shovel and the wheelbarrow analysis. Uh, can you give us a, a, just a brief overview of that? Yeah, so basically the idea behind training is you're, you're trying to build your fitness. So you basically you can think of your, your fitness as, yeah, as a big pile of whatever you're trying to make. And if you can keep piling that fitness on, it's good. So if you break up each week is essentially your little block of training that you're doing, and that's what you, you're putting in your wheelbarrow. So if you're trying to cram too much in that week, you're essentially just not going to be able to lift the wheelbarrow and get it over there and pile on that fitness. So it's great to, to chuck in like a, a crazy big week if you, if you have the time, but you're not actually going to get better for, from it because you can't manage that. You can't lift it and get it to where you want it to go. So then you're just going to be stuck there. That's useless. And now you, you don't have any actual means of getting better. So that kind of thing, it's just important to, make sure that it's yeah it's building on what you've done before but it's a load that you can manage always is the case yeah uh, sean dyke had a question you know he said for someone new to racing what areas of their training should they pr prioritize uh and any race day prep it's going to depend on how what volume you're doing so um if you've got the time to do the five or six sessions a week then it's going to be a matter of every session going out with a goal so even if it's a rico day i always tell people on their recovery days you want to finish feeling better than when you started that's the entire goal of that ride whereas your goal if if your goal is right i'm going to work on aerobic stuff so that's it's not going to be anything over threshold then make sure you're ticking off that goal like it's it's not always great to go out and think, ah, oh, I actually went way harder than I needed to. That's going to do me better because if that wasn't the goal of the day, then you haven't actually worked on your aerobic system. You've done a mixture of everything and it's not going to have the same training benefit. So basically I would say, yeah, if you're starting out every session, have a goal. And then it also makes the session more fun because you've yeah, like, it's, it's hard going out training. Like it is, it is nice to go out and just roll around but um, yeah, if you're doing that six days a week, you can just think, geez, this is so hard to do this every day. Whereas if you've actually got a goal every day, then it, it's something to tick off. The old KOMs and Strava are a bit of a poison chalice, aren't they, for the old recovery days? Yeah, well, but the, the KOMs are a great goal. So you might, you have one day a week, and I, I have this, this is one of my sessions that I give to athletes. It's just, yes, Strava KOM hunting, like, that that might be once a week or or once a month for those that are following a, a fairly structured program but yeah that's just a great goal or a zwift race can be another goal like just throwing in a little bit of fun is important yeah it's it is a, a great goal once a week or once a month for for some of my athletes but yeah they've just got that to aim for and it's also something you can even structure training around like it, for long periods without races which everyone's had at the moment yeah we have um around galway there's a, a phantom kom flagger nobody knows who he is or she is 
it turned around. If, you, if people who've been breaking the five kilometer limit, right? And and you can't cycle outside five kilometers and getting KOMs, they find themselves being flagged and nobody knows who it is. I know a few people now who are fairly <laughs> pissed after yeah. having their KOMs, hard earned KOMs yeah. flagged. And once it's flagged twice, yeah. you can't get it back. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that, that would that would be pretty heartbreaking if you've gone to all that effort. James Finn there in challenge is asking like what importance do you put on weight training, both on the kind of off season and you know while you're racing? Uh, I think I definitely do a lot more in the off season. Just logistically, it's a lot easier because I'll be in the one spot the whole time, so yeah. I can, I can, um, yeah, I have access to a gym constantly. Whereas when we're during the race season, we're moving around so much, it's just hard mm. to to be able to incorporate it regularly. But I think it it's I use it to help my sprint and short power mostly. Um, but the the other main thing is just for overall health. And um, there's just so many signs for that a bit of strength training and resistance training is just going to do you good in the long term in terms of bone density and and um, yeah muscle muscle mass. Um, because cycling isn't a weight bearing sport, if if that's the only kind of exercise you're doing, then it's it's not actually going to do do you that well in the long term. So it's yeah more just something a, a good like it, it's still going to be beneficial to my cycling and it's beneficial to my overall health. And yeah, it's a good way to something else to work on because in the off season I'm not going to be setting power PBs, whereas um, I'll, I can set PBs in the gym every week once I'm sort of starting up and getting back into it like at first i'll be deadlifting just the bar and then yeah each week can see that improvement really rapidly which is something that you don't get to see on the bike like you're not seeing your ftp improve by 10 watts each week whereas in the gym you're seeing 10 kilos more each time so that's that's a nice aspect of it and and during the races i mean would you be still kind of squatting big weight or would you would that impact upon your performance or how do you approach the gym during you know during race season during races if like we're racing each weekend i'll try on monday or tuesday to get into the gym at some point um but a lot of it i'll just make use of doing body weight stuff so the mm. same movement but without any weights then it's more just an activation thing so you sprint in the race you're still recruiting those glutes that you spent all the off season working on rather than just getting into sloppy sloppy movement patterns from not actually having to utilize those muscles. Yeah, yeah. Actually, funny, you have a question here from uh, Marty Mannion, who's a uh, Galway Bay Cycling Club, about protein. Now, Marty's one of the big power men in Galway Bay. Um, and what, like, what's the right way to approach taking protein? Because there's some lads absolutely shovel the stuff into them. Um, yeah, I think it's all dependent on your lifestyle. This one, in, um, I'll always, if, um yeah if i'm in control of my own food i'll be trying to just get the protein in by eating a meal the yeah the i prefer to sit down and eat an omelet than i would to scale a, a protein shake straight after a ride but if you're working like I've, I've been working a day job at the moment and if i i've been riding into work and doing a hard session on the way and if i do that then i'll sort of have the protein powder or a protein bar or whatever i can just to get that that in um before 
yeah, if I'm if I'm pressed for time. So I think it's more a lifestyle thing. But if you have the choice for real food, it's always going to do you better to to eat real food, is my opinion. And you'll find that it's it's super hard if you're training well as a cyclist to to be in calorie surplus, like over your calorie amount, if you're eating real food, like you can only really do that as a training cyclist, if you're eating processed crap. So yeah, I think I'd always just recommend just real food, fruit and veggies. And then, um, yeah, it's, it's fairly hard to go wrong if you stick to that. Getting back now to the the tour down under. Uh, that was uh, that was January this year. January, sorry. Um, I'm going to play a clip from it here. There of of you in the tour down under. Um, share that. Cyclist himself, almost over the top of Hawthorne Climb. Josh Wilson wants them. There's a little flinch there, but who wants them more? Cyrus Monk wants them more. The music man marches over the mountain. And really for him, he's doing that in support. Chris Harper from this group. So the music man marches over the mountain. <laughs> Great quote. But tell us about the tour down under. Um, I mean, you've been you've been racing for Evo Pro Cycling under Morgan Fox and in, in Ireland before you went back to Australia, you know, for, for three years, was it? Yeah, so um, that was part of coming home was that that this um, team in Australia, Cycle House, they they basically just said, look, we really want you to come home and be able to race this kind of stuff, race the national championships with us. And I was staying with Morgan in Ireland at the time and just said, look, do you, do you think this would be okay if I could do this kind of thing? And he said, yeah, 100%, go for that if you have the opportunity because we would have loved to be able to go over and race that. But um that it just wasn't possible because of the Australian border closures. So yeah, for for Morgan to allow me to do that and have no problems with me racing for them while I'm here, I've just been super lucky. And he's definitely someone that would never stand in the way of someone being able to to do what's best for them. So it's really lucky as a team manager we've got that kind of thing because I do have a lot of people asking while I'm here, are you still um riding with evo pro how come they let you do this because so many teams especially professional teams in europe would never allow that to happen but yeah morgan's really good like that he understands that we we need racing to to develop to get better and also we're we're racist like i'm not i don't ride a bike to i really enjoy training but i ride a bike to to race like that's the thing i love the most so for him to let me do that is yeah, super, super lucky and really enjoyed being able to race that while I was here. And it was, I mean, it's the only racing going on in the world, really, you know, in Australia, which was, must have been, must have been magic. Like, tell us what the, what the Tour Down Under was like to race, get back racing in Australia. And they need to start working together really smoothly and quickly to try and open up that gap. Yeah, so I, I'd never got to races before because it's obviously a World Tour race and... The year I won the under 23 national champs, usually that's a, a ticket into the race as a wild card. But um, unfortunately, that's just when the WADA had brought in the whereabouts program and I hadn't been placed on, on that whereabouts program yet. So I was ineligible. 
and um, basically it was just an admin stuff up and it, it cost me a chance to race that, which had always been my dream. Like I'd been, I went over and watched that from when I was, I think first time I was nine years old and still still been going there pretty much every year since. So to, to actually be able to race it was amazing, even though it wasn't a world tour race, it was just a domestic race this year, but we still had plenty of good world tour riders there. And I wasn't sure how the form would be at all because I'd only been a month out of quarantine and I'd had a really messy finish to the year in Europe. I'd crashed and um, separated my AC in early October and then spent the rest of October traveling around looking for a visa without a bike. So I'd had essentially six weeks off and just got back into training. So I was expecting some rubbish form and then came there and was riding out of my skin for the first few days. So. It was one of those nice surprise races and I was able to to make the most of it. Did you like to Richie Porter? Who who else who else was in it? From yeah, really? so all the all of the bike exchange team were there, all of the Australian riders from that team. So Durbo, Luke Durbridge was absolutely flying there. And then the um the Australian track team, which all of them could pretty much be World Tour road riders in their own right. So like Luke Pipe was on a blinder there he he was climbing just as well as Richie and then like Sam Wellsford is can sprint just about better than anyone and um yeah also who uh like Cal O'Brien who ended up second in the the um the national champs like he's he's a, a world champion on the track as well so like those guys is really good competition like there would have been 20 riders all either on world tour teams or capable of it but yeah it was it was really good um, to get to race against those guys and then to actually be really competitive in the race as well was really pleasing. And you took the points jersey. Did, did you go into it with a plan, you know, with your team um, to be the main, to, to be in the, the, the shakeup for the points classification? Yeah, so part of me coming back and racing with that team was the, um, Mark Seddon, who, who sort of built the team from the ground up. He he's just got into cycling recently himself. So he doesn't have the background as of someone like Morgan Fox, who, who runs Evo Pro, who's had the pro experience. Like Mark back here, he he doesn't have the background, but he's got the passion. So part of me coming back was to to take on the road captain role, which was also a bit of a director role in the team meetings before. Mm-hmm. So at that team meeting at the start of the tour, myself and, and another rider here, Matt Ross, who who's yeah really strong and got a good sprint on him as well so we're similar types of riders and and love a breakaway so the goal for the start of the week I said right one of us is going to take home a KOM or a sprint jersey and it's often hard to choose that at the start of the week because it's going to depend on who's in what breakaway and who can pick up what points but after the first day we had had Matt in the KOM jersey and then um yeah it was it wasn't until the second last stage that i managed to accumulate enough sprint points i think i i got a few points on every day because i was in the breakaway on every day and then it was only in the last criterium that i managed to actually seal the jersey but it was the goal at the start of the week for us to take home that because we knew gc wasn't an option with the likes of richie port there so it was then a matter of yeah what can we target and a new knew the form was okay wasn't expecting it to be that good but it's those jerseys are a lot more tactics often than they are strength so that was definitely that definitely suited me you must have got a great buzz out of the tour of australia after you know being in quarantine and traveling and not being able to race for so long 
yeah definitely and and, uh, especially being like yes stuck stuck inside for most of last year and sort of toughing it out in europe and yeah i was never at any point thinking of throwing it away but there's definitely times where you just think geez this is a lot of hassle for not much return um whereas that was good to get the return for all of the hard work like all of that training that i put in last year when when other people were thinking oh there's no point doing all of that like we're not going to be racing and then um yeah all the work that i put in last summer to to get the return for all of that training was was really nice G'day guys, welcome to another episode of Russ's All-Irish Adventures. Uh, beautiful day out here in the Midlands, and you know she's an absolute pearler in the Midlands when they're drying out the turf on the bog. I think your, your high altitude training in the sleeve bloom stood to you on Wollonga Hill. Yeah, yeah, that, that, uh, it's not, not oh, it's actually there, Wollonga Hill's not too dissimilar to the, the sleeve blooms climbs, but I think probably about 30 degrees difference on the day that we did it in temperature. It must have been absolutely sweltering. Yeah, that that played into my hands because I love the heat, and um, we that was the hottest week of the year. It often is, but we yeah had two two days over forty degrees, and the other two were high thirties. So it was a lot of riders suffer a lot more in the heat than what I do. I was hoping I hadn't lost that after being in Ireland for a year, but yeah, fortunately I, I was still able to handle it pretty well. And coming back to Ireland there, actually, the question from David Connolly is, is, what's the comparison with the league racing in Ireland? Um, you know, like we, you, you turned up to some of our um, challenge Thursday night leagues um, with, 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 with the team. Um, what's the, cha- the, the comparison with that and then kind of racing like the tour down under and, you know, pro continental on the, on the continent? Yeah, I think that I, I, knew, I knew the guys would have this question, but I think what I was sort of saying to people there and like I, when I first started doing those league races, I was, I was on the rivet just as much as anyone because I'd just been cruising around during the lockdown, doing a lot of long, long miles, but nothing intense. Those, those league races and the, the stuff in Ireland is just as intense as what we'd be racing in Belgium and in the pro races and the tour down to here. The only difference is in Belgium, it's like that for five hours, but at the, mm the league races it's an hour so but the speed's no different like we were in those those handicaps there we were averaging 46 47k an hour and we wouldn't average that for for a one-day race in belgium or like any of the the two i don't understages we didn't average that but the the difference is just the length it's just being able to do it for in the fourth and fifth hour still put out that power and then lift again especially for me because at those league races as well in the evenings I, I was riding out there from from morgan's house and doing the three or four hours before yeah it was good to to simulate it but it's um yeah the the difference really isn't that much yeah so it was it was great to great great to have you kind of race and you know in our leagues like we were kind of lucky in a way with the old uh in 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 a way with the lockdown we got to you know see guys like you kind of racing in our leagues around around that and Roy and those places that's you sprinting. That's kill messing, actually. Sean Raw photography. Yeah, cyclists will always say you're always strongest on your home turf, and if you take any cyclist and get them to race against, yeah, the Irish guys in Ireland, then they're going to be hard to beat. And um, yeah, that was it was really good for me because it's really good training to be over there and 
and doing those against some guys that were absolutely flying after after training really hard through lockdown. So it was a really good good challenge over there and a really good level of racing. Yeah, yeah, some nice hills. That's that's uh, Nakaderi down in County Limerick. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah, I think that's what what you guys used as your champs course. But that was yeah, yeah that was a really really fun, funny hard race there. That um, yeah, no, it was that was good fun we we um missed the break that day like i think i missed that was the the thing it's always hard to to gauge how to to gauge how to race each place you go to and how to pick the breaks because in in ireland there i reckon i i missed about 80 percent of the breaks and even though I, I was one of the stronger riders would just keep missing the moves and then having to try and ride across and that was a day where I'd missed the move and then spent the whole race chasing and just didn't catch the last three. So I ended up getting fourth, but, um, and then I went to two down under and even though we had, yeah, plenty of good riders there, I managed to get in every breakaway for the race. So it's just knowing after doing so much racing in Australia, knowing exactly when the break's going to go, who to watch for. Whereas in Ireland, I had no idea. And then, yeah, it was just struggling a lot to, to pick when the break was going to go. And, and tell me, uh, actually, I had a question there from Ronan McNamara and our club there. He said, he was asking, it's kind of a bit of a, a funny one, saddle position. He says, it seems you sit kind of low in the bike compared to most other riders. Yeah, um, oh, I am, yeah, obviously quite short. And then that's, that's a, just a bike fit I had here. It, I used to sit a lot higher and then I, I had a bike fit with someone and he said, look, you've actually got really short legs and a pretty long torso. You need to drop your seat two centimeters. And I just went, two centimeters. No, yeah, I went, no, that's crazy. Um, and then I remember the first week when he, he did it, I just thought this is stupid. I was riding around everywhere out of the saddle because it, it felt, felt so strange. But then ever since I've got super used to it, I um I used to have my knee flare up because I, I the tendons used to just click against each other at the back of the knee and it was probably because I was overextending a bit and I haven't had any problems with that since since that fit that was three years ago now I think right. and then yeah had, like it's yeah I think just each each rider is different so mm-hmm. I, I definitely recommend a, a good bike fitter if you can get to one um then yeah. I think you, if you look at each rider, even in the pro peloton, like Broomy, for example, looks like he's sitting super low and he's won five to or four Tour de France's off it. So, yeah, the yeah, it does mean I can can get a lot lower, and that's definitely something that advantages me being in so many breakaways. Is yeah, being being super low on the bike, and then also just being comfortable in an aero position for five or six hours if it's a, a long race which yeah. if you get into a long breakaway you're you're lying down with your your forearms on the the hoods for a lot of the day trying to stay as zero as possible so yeah being having that comfortable setup is key yeah it was very observant Rona McAmara. a uh, yep. question from warren blackburn there um what's your favorite road or climb in ireland oh i think yeah, that's a tough one. I think the the best riding I did personally was probably out around Connemara area. So um, yeah, and out towards Westport from there. So yeah, 
yeah, Mayo. Um, I think I wouldn't even know the names of the roads, but some of those, especially because I was super lucky, I was doing them just when the 5K rule had eased off, but you still couldn't really stay in hotels. So um, it's sort of the least traffic you probably ever see on those roads because there mm. wasn't wasn't all the tourists that would usually be there. And some people said to me, oh, those roads are, are usually really busy out that way. But yeah, sort of out, out past Galway City, um, like West, West Galway County, out around there, those roads are just amazing in the hills around there. Um, like for, for training, like specific efforts, they're, they're not, not long climbs, but just for general riding and scenery, they were, they were some probably amazing roads, like some of the best you'll find. Yeah. Good answer. It's our, it's our stamping ground. A question there from Keen Noon, right? It's kind of like bike and all the kind of main stuff aside. What's your best bit of sneaky kit? Oh, um, have you one thing that you got that was just the best thing you ever got? And you always like, okay, I'll just show you, right? I have this vest I got about 10 years ago, right? It's, it's in ribbons now, like, but I never leave yeah. home without it because I just, I just can't get a vest like it I, anymore and it's falling apart. I think me by now. My mine would be the the hamburger saddlebag. If anyone saw me training around in Ireland, I've got a, a saddlebag that looks like a hamburger. Um yeah, you can probably yeah, if anyone What's the looks uh and so that's just got spare tubes and tie levers and everything like that. But um yeah, I've had to do about 20 repairs on it because the straps keep wearing through on the seat rails because it was it's probably about a, a two dollar job on some some rubbish Japanese website, I think. But yeah, that's that's seen me out of a lot of issues on the road. Um, yeah, got my my toolkit and everything in it. But yeah, managed just to to um, save me a lot of times, and it's got the sentimental value. So I've managed to to keep it and just repurpose a few old lanyards to to reuse as straps to keep it going. And tell us what's your what's your ultimate cycling dream? This is from Nigel Ford. Uh, I think the the standard cliche that ev everyone says still applies. Like to ride the Tour de France would be pretty amazing, and that's obviously it's similar in Australia to Ireland. If you say you're a cyclist to someone that doesn't know anything about cycling, they say, "Oh, do you race the Tour de France?" And uh, <laughs> the answer is always hopefully one day. So that that's still the goal. Um, I think personally, I'd love to race. Tour of Flanders more and it's a race I would do better in um, like I managed to get a top 10 in the under 23 version of that race so I'd love to be able to to get to the elite Tour of Flanders so yeah those those would be the two big goals in terms of a stage race and a road race I'd like I think yeah I'd, I'd love to keep working in the sport after I am no longer good enough to ride in it as well um, so being a sports scientist for a team would definitely be a big thing for me. And I've been doing sort of like the, the riding with the amateur team here, I've sort of been doing a bit of that role and coaching a few of the athletes there. And then when we had our training camp in the Australian Alps here earlier this year, I was was managing the training there and, and the recovery there. So that was sort of a good tester for that. And it's definitely something I think I'd like to get into after I hang up the bike myself. And have, uh, I know it's hard to plan like with COVID and, and um, you know, the various lockdowns, but what are your, what are your kind of near-term plans then? Is it kind of coming back to Europe, come back to Eva Pro, race in the continent? Do you, do you have any kind of a 
picture formed now of the year ahead? Yeah. So it's been really just at the moment for the last month, treading water here and waiting to come back over. So ideally I'd be over there racing now, but we just don't have enough racing to, to warrant me coming over. Like we've, we've got 13 guys on our roster, I think. And we, if there's only one race with seven guys for April, then um, that's just going to be a lot of guys sitting around doing nothing. So for me, it's a matter of once we've got those races confirmed, then I can come over. And then also um, with Evo Pro, like we, for me, coming over there, I can't get any support um, from from like the government here in terms of if if we get stuck with no racing, um, yeah, I need to be able to find a way home. And so the, the financial side of things, like we're always, yeah, a, don't want to get stuck in a position where I'm stuck there because at the moment the quarantine in Australia costs about 2000 euro to, to stay in the hotel for two weeks. And we have to pay for that ourselves coming back. And then also the, the flight back obviously as well is um, super expensive at the moment. So for me personally, it's a matter of usually we'd be able to sustain ourselves off prize money, but um yeah, it's a matter of making sure that like at the the team as long as we're rock solid with our finances and i know i'm not going to get stranded on the other side of the world with no way home i say you must be bursting to get back racing too over here over this side of the the world with with evo pro yeah it's been i've been watching all of the classics the the morning after because they're always on at 3 a.m in australian time but um yeah it's been hard watching all the roads that i'd usually train on when i'm living in belgium and I was watching one with my mum and dad just there before and like I was working on a, a research article actually at the time so I was sort of half watching it um, on the Gent level game and then I sort of looked up and went oh, I know that road they're about to turn left into the Kemmelberg and then um, dad said oh have you already watched this and I said no I just know the road because I've, I've been there enough and then sure enough yeah 200 meters later they turn left into the Kemmelberg so it's that like when, when I'm sort of doing that kind of thing I'm like oh geez I should be there racing like that's that's what I've been doing for the last few years. And that's what I'd love to be doing. But um, yeah, it's just obviously not a good time at all to be traveling around the world at the moment. So yeah, hopefully things do improve over there. I can get back over. Nice one. Bit of Clancy Brothers, bye. Yeah, yeah, that was the one. Yeah, I um, no, I had to. I had so many requests to come out. You've left some tans, but <laughs> I um, don't think any, no one in Australia knows of it. And then uh, yeah, I just thought oh, I've got to go for so, for something with a bit of comedic value as well in there. So that that one I'll have to save for when I'm back in Ireland and do a cover of that. <laughs> Kept just saying anyway the music during the uh, the lockdowns. Yeah, that was definitely while I was over in Ireland was sort of when I started. Um, I was lucky, so lucky. The week before we went into lockdown, I bought a guitar from a secondhand music shop, just because I've got a few over here, but I can obviously never travel with them when I've got the bike with me. So I just bought a an old one, got it for fifty euro there, and then 
was yeah able to play that all through lockdown and it's just something to do rather than just ride the bike around in circles so it was definitely lucky brilliant well look forward to hopefully seeing you back out in the road anyway uh in the coming year and yeah. Cyrus Monk thanks a million for joining us and for everyone from Challenge and from, from everyone in cycling in Connacht really appreciate it and uh, best of luck Beauty thanks for having me on really appreciate being here Thank you.